Hey y'all, and welcome back to Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. I'm your host, Lacey Dunn, future registered dietitian, here to spread the scientific knowledge in the world of fitness and nutrition. I'm super excited for today's topic. It is common diet mistakes, missing the target. And this is in relation to both contest prep and lifestyle coaching. So let's get started. Okay, y'all, I am super excited. Today I have Brandon Wattis. He is a contest prep coach. He is just a really smart guy, and he is here to share his knowledge, his background, and as well as we're going to go into the common diet mistakes that people make in their journey. So, Brandon, why don't you tell my listeners who you are and what got you started into the health and fitness realms? Absolutely. Thank you, Lacey, and thank you for that warm welcome. Uh, So for those of you who do not know me, my name is Brandon Wattis, like Lacey said, and I am a professional natural bodybuilder and contest prep coach. I've actually been competing since 2011. Um, For a young guy, I'm actually 26 years old. I feel like that's a long time for me since I am so young. You know, I've been competing uh, for a while now, and I do coach quite a few athletes. I've turned some, some pro athletes before and have had some to mild success in the industry, I would consider myself an up-and-coming coach. I'm, you know, always shooting, you know, to be at the top, especially in the natural realm. Uh, but that's me as far as my background goes. I was an athlete growing up. I played baseball pretty much since the age of four after I stopped playing competitive sports. I kind of just got into weightlifting. I've always loved fitness. Um, and then I just, honestly, I fell into bodybuilding, um, competed in my first show when I was 19 years old. Uh, dieted for three weeks, got my butt kicked, um, and then have been learning ever since. So that's kind of my background to sum it up uh, over the course of my life as far as like how I got into bodybuilding. That's awesome. Yeah, no doubt. Coming from the athletic portion when you're younger you have that inner drive and you there's that's that's something that you always need to go for. So I love seeing everybody come from different athletic backgrounds because we all we all kind of understand the craziness that was required and that we still somehow want and love. Absolutely. Okay, so let's dive into today's topic, common diet mistakes, missing the target. So I know that the first thing we are going to talk about are fad diets. So there are so many fad diets. There's ketogenic dieting, there's the paleo community, there's the Whole30 community. So let's dive into those and why why fad diets are a problem, essentially. Right. So what I was getting at uh, when I wanted to bring up fad diets, and although you know some of these fad diets do have uh, some merit to them, obviously some people do get results, uh, but as a whole, fad diets, are just what they are. You know, they come and they go. Um, and then I feel like they just end up burning people in the long run. Mm-hmm. So for instance, um, you know, let's say this, the new fad diet basically this year, which has been around for a while was the ketogenic diet. For sure. And let's say from a person that is, you know, not informed, just your av- average everyday person, although some competitors do it, but we have to look at it from a non-competitor standpoint sometimes. And that's what I struggle with. Uh, just because I mostly work with competitors, mm-hmm. is looking at it from the perspective of an outside person. So, you know, let's say somebody hears about this ketogenic diet and they want to give it a try, um, and then they get frustrated, you know, maybe because it doesn't work right away and they don't see results, and then they go to another fat diet, you know, like the paleo diet or, you know, this Whole30 or whatever. I don't, I'm not even familiar with that one in all honesty. Um, so they just go from diet to diet to diet, and they really don't ever stick to one. And I would refer to that almost as like diet hopping uh, Mm -hmm. from fad diet to fad diet because, you know, when you go to the grocery store, all you have to do is go to the checkout aisle and you grab a magazine and there's a new fad diet on the cover there with someone that says, you know, lose 14 pounds in your first 14 days or whatever. So it's uh, it's very tempting uh, to try these new diets because they have these lofty claims. And for those of us who have been around in the fitness industry long enough, Uh, we know that nothing happens quickly. So when we see, you know, a claim like that, lose 14 pounds in 14 days, we know that's probably, an educated person knows that's probably not going to be just fat. You know, that's going to be probably a lot of water and maybe a little bit of fat. So that's where my problem with fad dieting lies, 
it's just very misleading to the general public. For those of us who have been around a little bit, we can kind of see through those holes. But still, I mean, I know competitors out there right now who are doing, you know, the, the Whole30 or who are doing the ketogenic diet and all these other diets, the paleo diet, and that's how they're prepping themselves for their competition. And to each their own, and one of the last thing I will say about this is if it works for you, awesome. You know, obviously that's the end goal of the dieting is we want to find something that works. So, you know, let's say you love the ketogenic diet and it fits your lifestyle and you get results from it, absolutely good for you, you know, stick to it. Um, but it's when people hop from one diet to another diet, that's where, you know, it kind of gets me going uh, because I want people to get results. And when they promise these lofty claims, I feel like it ends up holding a lot of people back from getting those results. I so agree. And it also holds people back from keeping those results. So it's all about, to me, a diet should be sustainable. It should be mm -hmm. something that you can keep over long term. And another thing about fad diets that for me creates a problem um, is the lack of variability in regards to some of the diets. Because, you know, you think about it, ketogenic ketogenic diets, if you are not up to date on possible different nutrients that you could have in that keto diet, you could just be sticking with the same possible foods day in, day out and set yourself up for a micronutrient deficiency. So that's just another Absolutely. problem I see. Yep, totally agree with that. And people don't understand essentially that in the end it is going to come down to calories. It's not going to come <laughs> yeah. down to, you know, whether you ate a whole grain or not. So Right, absolutely. And I think that's where a lot of people, and like, like you started this off with, is, is missing the target. And uh, everybody, they want to focus on, you know, is this paleo? Does this fit into my ketogenic diet? You know, is this whole grain, you know, is this whole wheat or does this have enough, you know, uh, of a certain ingredient in it? And in reality... You know, I feel like that's one of the last things that people actually look is the caloric value. You know, they're looking at, okay, this is a whole food source. And just like to generalize it, clean eating, you know, that's still going on to this day. <laughs> and I'm in the process of a contest prep right now. And I obviously follow flexible dieting. And uh, I was kind of laughing at myself the other day when I was uh, portioning out my rice uh, for my meal. So I was cooking some rice. And like it came out to one portion, one serving. And I look at that. I'm like, man, I could really eat a lot more rice if I wanted to. <laughs> and if I was a clean, if I was a clean eater, I could have ate, you know, four or five servings of rice. I mean, it's clean. And I, it's clean. Um, but I was, I was just kind of giggling at myself, like, man, if I was a clean eater, I'd be going to town on this rice right now. But you know, a little bit more thought, a little bit better understanding of calories. You know, knowing that I had to just restrict to one person, one portion for that meal in order to, you know, to space out my calories for the day appropriately. No, yeah, that's a problem. And I'm just going to throw in an example from my own family. My sister, she heard that, you know, smoothies were good for you and that, <laughs> you know, you can throw in some protein powder in there and it even be even better because protein, more protein is good for you. And so she texted me and asked me, hey, are smoothies healthy? And I was like, yeah, they're great. Um... I was like, you can implement them into your diet, and I'll even send you some whey. So I sent her some PE Science whey to incorporate into that. Little did I know yep. that she was going to, like, Jamba Juice and doing the added sugar <laughs> smoothies with, like, peanut butter in them. And then she came back and she said, like, the smoothies aren't working. And I was like, wait, what? What yep. are you talking about? She's like, I'm not losing any weight. I'm like... They're not weight loss, and what are you yeah. what are you putting in them? So people don't understand, you know, even if something's good for you, too much of something is going to pack on some pounds. Absolutely. Yep, and I, I have that same situation actually at, at the gym uh, that I work out at is they put, like, Giardelli's chocolate and peanut butter in a lot of their shakes, and I look at that, I'm like, you do realize you're adding, like, you know, 50 grams of sugar in chocolate just to make it taste better and then like you know 20 grams of fat in a post-workout shake and I just scratched my head looking at those people getting those shakes thinking that it is helping them because they think you know there is protein in there but there's a lot of other added calories to make mm -hmm. it taste good. Yeah sadly there is a lack of nutrition education 
because people just kind of fall for whatever whatever looks good and whatever looks like they're gonna that is gonna bring the fastest results possible that's what they shoot for so anybody listening and all my listeners probably already know this but sustainability is key lifestyle is key macronutrients micronutrients matter but in the end it's gonna be those calories and then one other thing just to add on top of that and that was in the outline I sent you, but it's just the understanding, you know, your energy expenditure. So we want to know how many calories we are actually burning, of course, and how many we are consuming. So Mm -hmm. you have to know those two things. And honestly, I don't track my energy expenditure. I have a rough idea of of how many calories I burn per day. I know some people wear the Fitbits and track their steps and everything. I'm not quite on that level. Um, But I do, I mean, I work out six days a week. If anything, when I start to add cardio, in my later stages of prep, I'll, I'll obviously track that, you know, to the minute and the calories then. Uh, so that's what just everybody has to understand is the total, you know, energy balance is the, the, the term typically coined uh, when they're talking about that. Definitely. And it's going to, like, if you were a sedentary person, if you have an office job, it's going to be a lot different for you how many calories you can eat per day versus somebody who has laborious work, who may be moving boxes all day, or somebody who's walking around a hospital all day. So definitely things to keep in mind in the fact that you possibly may have a smaller energy expenditure the more you diet because just you're going to want to do less. You're going to be tired. So things to keep in mind for sure. Now, do you want to go ahead? Oh, go ahead. (laughs) I was going to say another topic, uh, just because we were talking a little bit about uh, non-competitors, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, some mistakes that competitors make. And this is typically, you know, my realm, although I still work with a handful of non-competitors, uh, my business is basically all competitor-driven. And I'm not sure if you work with both um, non-competitors and competitors, but that's kind of my forte. Uh, so I wanted to touch on a few things of, of mis- common mistakes of competitors, if we could kind of go to that. Yeah, for sure. I would love that. Um, I typically work with both a mix of lifestyle and competitors. I mm-hmm. I love both. I love working with both. So um, definitely, you dive into it, and you're ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the biggest mistakes that I see from competitors across the board, no matter in what what category they're in, um, is when they try to start a contest prep, uh, first of all, they just don't give themselves enough time. And then the end result is they have to push their rate of loss or the pounds per week that they're trying to lose extremely high. So for instance, you know, if somebody were to come to me right now, I mean, we're in January, and they want to compete in, let's say, April or May. You know, we're 12 to 16 weeks away, and let's say they're 35 pounds over stage weight. And typically, that would be like a male because bodybuilders in general tend to gain a little bit more exorbitant amount of weight. At least that's what I've seen uh, mm-hmm. for people. And I've had to tell some people already that, look, you know, we're going to have to push your timeline back. You know, April or May is might be out of the question already uh, because. You're, you're just too fat, <laughs> to be simple. And we would have to push the rate of loss too quickly. And when you do push the rate of loss, uh, you you might lose uh, some lean tissue. And obviously for a bodybuilder, especially for natural athletes out there, we don't have the enhancements of the drugs to help us keep on that lean tissue. So exactly. especially for a natural athlete, you cannot push the rate of loss. In my opinion, for, for larger males, I mean, you could maybe lose two pounds a week. But that's a big maybe. I would honestly like to see it a lot closer to one pound a week or one and a half pounds a week. And then for smaller females like yourself, I mean, I don't know what you would do, but just for example, if I was coaching you, I mean, I would have you losing potentially, you know, 0.5 to one pound a week just Mm -hmm. so you could hold on to as much tissue because I'm sure someone of your size, you have to work very, very hard to keep, to put on lean tissue and you don't want to lose it just because you have to push your, your rate of loss. Exactly. And if it's in the beginning of a cut for anybody, obviously there's going to be water loss right away. But mm-hmm. once you've been dieting for like at least after two weeks, it should be, you know, that progressive, slower rate of fat loss because you don't want to lose that hard earned muscle. At least I right. for sure don't. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, even myself, I, don't, I feel like I'm kind of an average sized bodybuilder. 
Um, currently, I mean, I'm 191 pounds, and I compete at about 170. And for a natural pro, 170 is not all that big. There's guys that are, you know, in the low 200s that I compete against. Uh, so I really have to make sure that I'm holding on to as much muscle as possible because I'm giving up, you know, 40 pounds to some of these guys on stage that I have to compete against because in the, in the natural organizations, it's just an open pro class. So unfortunately, you know, I have a lot of work to do in order to catch up to them, uh, but that's why it's just so important for me to really uh, control my rate of loss. And I calculated it for my prep, um, and my rate of loss, my expected rate of loss, I should say, per week, I put mine at 0.75 pounds per week. So that's pretty much what I'm shooting for. And one thing I do want to say, uh, just in general, is that, of course, we all know that uh, weight loss is not linear. And that would be fantastic <laughs> if I could lose 0.75 pounds per week on the dot from now until the end of my contest season. But I know that's just not going to happen. I've already had, uh, I think I'm honestly behind schedule a little bit. I haven't calculated it. But my weight is, is coming off a little bit quicker now, so I'm probably making up a little bit of ground. But on average, at the end of my prep, I'll calculate it, and I hope to God that it's roughly around 0.75 pounds. Uh, of weight loss per week. Now, going off of that, I do want to talk about the length of prep and how people set their preps up. So I've been kind of going on, I don't know if you would call it a witch hunt, <laughs> but um, I've stepped back and from, because since I'm a competitor and since I'm a coach and I've been in it long enough, I really wanted to rethink how to schedule or set up a contest prep diet and I don't know how long you've dieted for in the past and you could tell me in a sec but I've actually dieted continuously without taking any breaks for about 45 weeks so like, oh how long my have you god <laughs> how long have you dieted continuously before you don't want to hear my answer <laughs> <laughs> go for it three weeks okay that's fine so obviously we're at we're both at the extremes Okay, and I know I know your physique, and you stay fairly lean. And when I mentioned earlier that bodybuilders tend to get a little heavier, I myself is included in that. Um, this year, I kept it a lot more under control uh, as far as my weight gain. Um, but I was, and this was my last prep. I had to diet for about 45 weeks, and I had to lose about 45 pounds. So once again, my rate of loss was about one pound per week, which was great. Uh, but I felt like I lost a lot of lean tissue along mm -hmm. the way because of the amount of time that I was in a prep. So this year, um, well, I knew that I was going to compete in 2018 and I wanted to think about, okay, you know, this is what I did last time. What am I going to do differently? Because although that worked and, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people try not to fix uh, what isn't broken, but I wanted to, to rethink the entire process, basically start from scratch. And I looked at my initial starting weight, which was a lot lower than last time, which I made sure I was. And I looked at, you know, how many weeks I had until my first show was planned. I did a lot of math, and then I actually broke my prep up, or am breaking my prep up, into three phases. So I know this may sound a little bit crazy, once again, coming from somebody that's only dieted for three weeks for a show. Hey, crazy um, can be good. <laughs> but um, I'm taking my diet into uh, a 14-week phase, a 12-week phase, and then about an 8- to 10-week phase. And in, the, in between those phases, I'm actually going to raise my food up to maintenance calories, quote-unquote maintenance, because um, that's another term that I think gets thrown out there a lot, just because uh, maintenance is a constantly moving target. Obviously, mm -hmm. if you, you know, if you're, we talked about energy expenditure, the amount of muscle mass that you carry at that given point in time will also affect you know, your maintenance calories, and obviously the, how your performance in the gym goes, too, if you're doing any cardio. So there's a lot of things that en encompass maintenance calories, but I'm theoretically going to take myself up to maintenance in between those phases for two to four weeks, um, depending on how I'm feeling, depending on how I'm looking. And I've built in some, some slack time into this prep, um, and in theory, at least I hope is what's going to happen, is if I were to lose any muscle in these diet phases, I hope that those two to four week phases of bringing myself up to maintenance will not only help my performance, but also help bring back some lean tissue. 
So that's my new strategy that I've been incorporating for myself and for my, my competitors, my clients, um, just because I think that the whole notion that, you know, dieting for eight weeks straight or dieting for, you know, 24 weeks straight or 36 weeks straight or 45 weeks straight like I did, unfortunately, um, I felt like that was just a little bit silly and it needs to have a hard looking at in order to, you know, see where the holes are in, in that methodology. Yeah, I I think what you're doing in regards to the length of it, it makes complete sense. It's it's a maintenance phase. It's kind of like a diet break, and it gives mm-hmm. your body a chance to refill your glycogen stores as well as it gives your hormones a chance to kind of not be shunted and blown into a mess yes. for a little bit. So I think you'll definitely so that, see some posit- positive changes there. Yes, and I'm... I'm documenting it, of course, you know, along the way, like everybody else does. Um, so each week I do like an update on my YouTube channel, uh, just kind of my thoughts on any kind of generalized topic. Obviously, like I'm just starting. So this is like my seventh week dieting in my first 14 week phase. So there's nothing too crazy going on. But as the phases start to go, you know, by the phase, by phase two, when I'm halfway through that, or for sure by phase three, you know, hopefully I'm seeing some of the benefits from these diet breaks along the way in comparison, you know, to my last contest prep. And I know how I felt during that, those last, you know, I would say eight weeks of that contest prep where it was 45 weeks and I felt absolutely terrible. Oh, I was on the couch just not moving. <laughs> so these these are some things that I wanted to change this, this time around um, and just rethink the whole process. Goodness, yeah. Hopefully it will not make you feel like that and you'll feel mm-hmm. like a human. For sure. Yes, that's, that's the goal. If I had to summarize this, the goal of this contest prep, it would be feel like a human. <laughs> that's definitely great and fantastic and what everybody wants to feel like. I try my very best with every single one of my competitors. I'm like, I want you to feel as good as possible. I want you to have as much energy as possible. It's not about who ran themselves into the ground or, yep. you know, who... Um, suffered or struggled the most it's about the physique that you bring on stage so operation right, and I, skip the struggle there yeah i think a lot of people uh feel like they have to be a martyr you know when they're in contest prep you know especially like the clean eaters i feel like they just have that attitude is i can only eat you know broccoli and chicken and rice for 12 weeks i can't eat anything else and i have to do hours of fasted cardio and two-a-days and all this stuff, and they, they feel like they need to suffer. When in reality, you know, if you want to do this for a long time, you know, like I said, I'm, I mean, I guess I've been kind of doing it for a little little bit longer since 2011. Obviously, I'm a little bit older. But if I have to, you know, kill myself every single time that I go through a contest prep, I'm more likely not to want to come back. Exactly. And from a business, pers- from a business perspective, I'm sure you would think the same way, that, like you said, you want your clients to feel as good as possible. Sure, are you going to have to struggle a little bit? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. More often than not, we are. But from a business standpoint, I'm sure you would like to have some return customers. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, So um, if you murder somebody for contest prep and they look great, but you kill them, you know, are they really going to want to come back? And that's kind of one of the topics, um, at least in natural bodybuilding right now, you know, is you know, is natural bodybuilding dead? Um, I think that's one of the reasons where maybe some coaches out there that were kind of uh, the ones to start coaching, you know, years ago, let's say like in uh, 2008, 2010, like kind of like the first online coaches, that's when it started to become popular. I feel like some of them may be kind of at fault for running people into the ground and causing them to not want to compete from years to come. So now... I've seen, at least in the natural realm, some of the competitions getting smaller, you know, and it's a lot of newer faces. It's not a lot of repeat customers. I mean, I feel like people are just getting tired of being run into the ground. So that's, once again, that's why I was kind of, I wanted to rethink how to approach any contest prep, um, especially, you know, for a bodybuilder like myself, but for any of my clients. Now, for bikini clients, um, obviously, like with you, I wouldn't probably take any diet breaks if you're, you know, super close to stage ready. Um, but even some of my bikini competitors who let's say need to lose, 
15 to 20 pounds, uh, which on average, I feel like that's kind of roughly what some bikini competitors hold above stage weight is I, I've been breaking it into two phases. You know, let's say like two eight to 10 week diet, diet phases with a diet break in between. And I've been seeing some moderate success with that. So once again, it's not just for me, it could be implemented, you know, for anybody for that matter. Yeah, for sure. All about individuality there. And I think the diet break, not only physiologically, but psychologically could be very beneficial for people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that was one of the, another reason why I wanted to try it out. Uh, just because if, you know, you tell somebody, and I'll use myself as an example with that 45-week prep, that you have to restrict yourselves now for the next 45 weeks without going off the plan, without eating anything more than you're told. Um, and, you know, you, you have your initial starting macros and they're only going to get lower from here. And that could be demoralizing. You know, it's this is not only a physical game. I feel like it's more of a mental game. It really is. Uh, in the long run. Because, you know, we can lift the weights, um, but when it comes to, you know, sticking to the plan and avoiding, you know, <laughs> overeating, uh, binge eating, you know, only having the certain portion like I was talking about earlier with the rice, uh, you know, it, it does take some mental fortitude to be able to do that for an extended period of time. And anything to make uh, the prep easier, to make it more enjoyable, to make it fit your lifestyle like you were talking about at the very beginning, you know, that's the goal of kind of the whole whole concept that I'm thinking Yeah, and that's where macros and flexible dieting definitely come in handy. That's for sure. Yes, yes, absolutely. So it's it's just taking the whole flexible dieting approach and using that and applying it kind of on the the greater scale of implementing these diet breaks along the way. Just because uh, I you know I get a little bit fired up about this, and I've made some Facebook posts and have talked about it on my Facebook Live videos. um, Is that if when you're a coach you should bring more than your first grade level of math uh, to the table. And when I, what I mean by that is I feel like a lot of people just know how to take away. They never know how to add back in. So, for instance, you know, if you start somebody off eating 200 grams of carbs per day and then you only subtract along the way, subtract, 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 and then they stall and you really don't have a lot of food left, you know, what do you do? Well, the only thing you knew how to do was subtract you don't you didn't you didn't go to school that day where you knew how to add. You know, sometimes adding in food might be the answer and not taking away and that might actually help somebody break through uh, you know, a fat loss plateau. And I know that doesn't necessarily go with the laws of, you know, thermodynamics and, and energy balance, uh, but just sometimes giving people a little bit extra food will give them that little mental break and it will help them push a little bit harder in the gym, maybe hit their cardio session a little bit harder which will help that weight come off. Yeah, amen to that. And what really kills me is those coaches that, you know, just think it's all about those numbers, calories in versus calories out. They ignore the fact that weight loss and your physique is way more than just the calories that you eat. It's also your stress levels. It's it's those nutrients in your body. It's your hormones. It's your thyroid. It's your whole entire body connects and talks to itself. And if something is going wrong, it's not going to want to do what you want to do. It's not going to want to go into more stress if it's already stressed. So I could go on a tangent to that, but I'll stay away from it. <laughs> Please do. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I want to talk about in, in regards to just specifically for competitors and mistakes that I see along the way there. Uh, just some other ones uh, that I did kind of think about uh, off the top of my head, right before uh, we started this podcast, uh, was, and you kind of mentioned it uh, briefly just a little bit ago, uh, as far as just uh, weight loss goes, but for even for competitors and for lifestyle, as you refer to, to it as, uh, just focusing on the scale. So although it's not necessarily you know food-related, it is still diet-related when uh, you let the scale mess up your head. Now, mm-hmm. um, so... What I do, at least for my clients, and I'm sure you do the same, is as a show approaches, gets closer and closer to the, the stage, um, you actually forego or pay less attention to the scale and you pay more attention to pictures. Because that's very important, especially you know in the last couple of weeks, 
I really could care less what the scale says. Sure, I'm still going to look at the weight that they send me just because if I see a jump of five or six pounds overnight, I'm going to, I'm going to want to know that. But at the end of the day, like you said, you know, it's more about the physique that you're bringing and the package, how you look on stage. And it's not necessarily about this, the number on the scale. So especially for competitors, I kind of put the scale to the back of my head and focus on how they look visually. And then, of course, in the off-season, you know, I am watching their, their weight a little bit closer. But also, once again, you know, it's going to be pictures every month or so just to see how people are progressing to make sure, you know, the weight that they're gaining is, is muscle, hopefully, and not just a bunch of fat, you know, from their number going up on the scale. Yeah, I so agree. I definitely – I look at pictures over – overweight for every single person whether it be lifestyle or competitors um, because your weight can easily change based on a number of factors if you didn't sleep well that night like your weight can spike up if you have bad digestion you haven't pooped that day your weight's gonna spike up and in regards to competitors what can happen and you already know glycogen stores so it's just I don't like using weight and I don't like how people get so hung up on it you know they they want to see that weight number go down and they look at it as like this is my progress and I'm like but do you (laughs) not see that like that line in your tricep which is obviously they don't see themselves that's why I'm like everybody needs a coach because they can be an, an objective eye but people don't see those tiny little changes that they make each week and that is exactly what I look for mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, you do have to have another objective eye to help you along the way. And as a coach, you really have to have all the tools that you can to help somebody. So like you said, and this, this is what I have to do, this is what I do with my clients also, is I basically tell them, please tell me any relevant information. So like exactly. you said, if, if somebody only got four hours of sleep last night, that's something that you know you need to tell me. Or if they haven't gone to the bathroom in a few days, or if you just started your period, or, you know, if you had a really stressful day at work or, you know, God forbid you had like way too much sodium the day before on accident and that's why you're holding on to a bunch of water. Uh, so those are the things that we all need to know along with the pictures in order to make an educated decision. And that's where I don't necessarily get upset, but I have to pry on some of my clients for a little bit more information just because. Uh, some people wake up like super early in the morning and they're sending me their weight. Not that I'm responding to it, but like, let's say like at four o'clock in the morning and they don't want to sit down and write a long email. They just sometimes just send me their weight. I'm like, okay, that's great, but I need to know a little bit more. <laughs> you know, I need to know how, I need to know how you're feeling, how your training's been going, you know, and especially if the number is something wacky, like if your weight just shoots up four pounds and we're supposed to be losing weight and I'm just like, okay, you know, Help me a little bit. Help me help you provide <laughs> me with a little bit more relevant information other than this this high number or this super duper low number for trying to gain. Uh, so that's that's where just the communication uh, between coach and client is especially key. Oh yeah, hands down. I am a firm believer in communication and feedback. And I I tell my clients, I'm like, give me as much detail as you humanly possibly can. If you are writing a novel, then then you're good. You're you're good to go. I should be able to read your email and be like, oh look, a paragraph. If it's like <laughs> not a paragraph, there's a problem. Get to writing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. And I mean, it's not like I'm assigning homework. Sometimes I feel like I am a teacher. Like, all right, next week, I need you to report back on this, 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 and this, you know, and and give them homework across the week. Um, But in the the grand scheme of things, you know, I am just trying to look out for, you know, the betterment of my client to make sure that I'm doing everything I can in order to get them to the stage, you know, as safely and as responsibly as possible. Exactly. Now, I know... Did you want to hit on refeeds a little? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in regards to refeeds, so I've, I've kind of changed um, my opinion on them over time. And at the, at the beginning of, of my coaching career, I was, everybody had, everybody had to have a refeed every single week. And over time, I've, I've actually changed my view on it. Um, right now, uh, if at my current state of my prep, I'm actually not even having a refeed right now because I'm still eating enough calories. And 
like we talked about earlier, since I am incorporating diet breaks, basically the longer the diet break, the longer that calories are going to be raised is going to be more beneficial. So um, in regards to a, a single refeed day, which I used to do, um, and I still do have some people do, uh, typically who are like, let's say, coming out of a contest or who are deep into a contest uh, prep. Instead of just having a single refeed day, I've been using, you know, the, the diet break phases. Um, the reason why I've gone away from just a single refeed day, especially for like people in the off season or people just starting a contest prep diet is there's not much benefit in my opinion. Although, you know, you can uh, get some glycogen storage restored uh, for a short amount of time, you know, let's say 24 hours uh, in the grand scheme of things. It's not going to help all that much, and especially like for myself at the start of a diet phase, that can actually kick you out of a deficit and can halt your progress. And I think yes. that's um, that's one of the things where I've made mistakes as a coach in the past. Is like, okay, you know, I'm going to start somebody having a refeed day, but I didn't necessarily drop their calories enough to put them in a deficit. So I. I made them, you know, let's say in less of a surplus, but then I gave them a monster refeed day, which pushed them overboard. So I think you have to use refeed days responsibly. Now, mm -hmm. I will say that as my prep goes on, and this is what I typically do for my clients too, I will use refeed days more and more, but still incorporate those diet break phases. Now, in those diet break phases, I'm not going to have them have use a refeed day i'm just going to bring their calories up as a whole because once again if you're you know what's going to be more beneficial is bringing somebody's food up for two weeks or giving them you know two extra refeed days in there so you know obviously the longer the calories are raised the more beneficial it's going to be for the person for the competitor uh, so as far as a refeed day and how to execute it uh, this is going to be once again, and, and I feel like everything is going to be individualized, right? So some people can have a refeed day every five days. Some people need a refeed day every seven days. Some people can only handle one every 10 days. So that's something that you really have to look at how people respond to glycogen and how intense their workouts are. So I'll say one last thing, and I've actually never had to do it because um, it, it wasn't one of my clients, but I knew somebody that did two a days in the gym and it was a bodybuilder and they absolutely destroyed themselves and worked out, you know, let's say for two hours each time a day. Obviously they were beating themselves up a lot. They actually took a double refeed day, like every five days because of the amount of, you know, glycogen stores that they were burning through. So that's a very far extreme. So you just have to look at, you know, yourself, how you're feeling, how you're recovering, and one other thing, at least what I'm going to do for myself, and it's very tough to do for, for clients, is a little bit of auto-regulation, at least deeper into prep. So let's say you see a large weight loss over the course of like three days, and then you actually just give somebody a refeed day just to help them get out of the deficit a little bit more because you don't want to see their rate of loss, once again, go too quickly. So kind of at the end of prep, let's say – and maybe in like the last third, I'll be auto-regulating my refeed days according to how I'm feeling and how I'm looking and according to my rate of loss over the course of the week. Yeah, no, that's actually something I've done with one of my, some of my clients as well. Um, because if they're just feeling run down into the ground and they've been losing a good amount of weight, then I'm going to refeed them, make them feel better, make them look better. Um, as in regards to refeed days as well, I love utilizing more than one day, more physiological benefits. But then again, I do have some clients who do very well with a one day refeed, even though science says, you know, physiologically, there's not necessarily a benefit. Some people definitely do see a benefit there. So the human body's amazing. The metabolism is amazing, and it's definitely going to be all about what works for that individual. Yes, couldn't agree more. I mean, and especially, and I, I think I talked about this in my Facebook Live video yesterday, is there's a, there's a human element to coaching. And you, and you mentioned before, it's not just about the numbers. And, you know, as, as much as I love my spreadsheets 
and the number aspect and, you know, making manipulations uh, based off of numbers. Because at the end of the day, you know, you do have to have some math skill behind it. You know, you have to have some thought, some understanding of calories. You have to know how to, you know, treat people differently, right? And just because, you know, one plan worked or one method worked for one of your clients doesn't mean that same method is going to work for another one of your clients. So there's a lot of learning uh, on the individual level uh, that you have to do. And that's what makes coaching exciting, at least for me. And my wife asked me, uh, like, I think it was like last week, which is weird to say my wife because we got married just a few months ago. Um, But (laughs) she she asked me, you know, are you ever going to get, you know, like tired of doing this? And I told her, absolutely not. You know, just because the, the situation is always different. You know, it's, it's, you know, this person, you know, we have to do this to get them to lose weight. And this person, we have to do this. And, you know, this person is doing this show. And, you know, these are the people that they're going against. So I feel like it's always, it's always something different. And that's what keeps me excited uh, and keeps me coming back and keeps me fired up to be a coach is because then once again, there's always new people coming in. And hopefully, and I, you know, I, I'm probably speaking for you too, you know, you want to be somebody that people are going to come to in the future and look up to. And I mm-hmm. feel like, Obviously, people really look up to you and, and go to you for a lot of advice. And I, I hope that people come to me and look for advice. You know, you want to you wanna be that person uh, to give that sound advice over time, uh, you know, to really help as many people as you can. No, I, de- I definitely agree. And for sure, you can tell right away, even with your Facebook Lives, like people – they trust you. They know you're a good source of information, knowledgeable. You're not going to tell them lies. You're not going to just give them the easy answer that they want. You're going to give them the facts, the truth, the best answer. So very, very important there. And thank you for doing those Facebook Lives as well. Um, Oh, absolutely. And then let's go into a little bit more of the common diet mistakes that people make before we close this out. So I know you had initially um, put down cheating on your diet as well as eating more or less than you should be, which these are definitely two major mistakes that so many people make. Yeah. So um, I'll give a a little bit of background and that's, that's why I put that on there. It was just uh, cheating on your diet and and then eating more or less kind of go hand in hand. I mean, uh, so when a coach or anybody assigns you numbers, you know, we're, we are in the understanding that you probably, you should be hitting them. Yeah. Um, why I put, you know, cheating on your diet, because once again, when I started when I was 19, um, getting into this, really not knowing what I was doing, I would eat clean. I was a clean eater. Forgive me. Uh, <laughs> I would eat clean for, for six days. And on the seventh day, I would just eat everything in sight. You and were that free. Was obviously... It was your cheat day. <laughs> I was free. It was my cheat day. So, um, and that, although I did make progress, once again, and, you know, years later, looking back, I could kind of laugh at that uh, just because I know that that was just absolutely destroying me. So I was really restricting myself, obviously, during the week. Mm-hmm. And then I was essentially just binge eating on, you know, Sunday or Saturday, whatever day I picked. Um, and that was just absolutely killing me. And then I'd have to bust my butt to work all of those calories off, you know, during the week, restrict myself. And it was just this never-ending cycle. Luckily, like you, my first show, I only dieted three weeks. So that was my three-week prep. <laughs> but um, and those three weeks are absolutely miserable for me. And I, you know, I really learned a lot. But um, what people, and especially just uh, lifestyle, as you refer to it as, I feel like a lot of people are good Monday through Friday. We all have our routines. We mm-hmm. go to work. We go to the gym. We come home. Friday hits, and we're, we're still we're still okay. You know, maybe some people go out to the bar and drink a little bit, but you know, Saturday rolls around, same thing. Sunday we might have parties or whatever to go to, and that's where you know, people just eat an exorbitant amount of calories, and that's where they're like, "Well, I was super good, you know, during the week," and I hear this all the time. You know, people at the gym, I overhear them talking. And then, you know, but my weight's not going down. And they're like, but I'm not eating a lot during the weekend. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what are you eating on the weekends? Or what are you doing on the weekend that's causing you your weight not to go down? And it's because they're cheating on their diet. So I call those just the Monday through Friday dieters. And then the, the, the going crazy on the weekend. And I feel like that is like the majority of America. And then, of course, we just got over the holidays. And there's a lot of opportunity to cheat on our diets. Yes. You know, from, no, from <laughs> November through, you know, January 1st, 
Um, and, you know, and God forbid, you know, if you have, you know, kids or a husband or wife and they have birthdays or you have to go to, you know, their, their parents' house like I did. And there's a lot of opportunities to screw up. And I feel like each and every week there's opportunities for people to go off their diet. And my, my wife, she works at an animal clinic and she tells me, and she doesn't necessarily like check macros or anything. She's a non-competitor. She just lifts weights and, and having the calories. But she tells me that every day somebody is bringing in donuts or cheesecake or, you know, somebody dropped off a plate of cookies and she just looks at everybody else, you know, eating these cookies and she's like, oh my God, you know, these ladies have no idea how many calories they're just consuming and they're not even thinking about it because it's in front of them. So just because something's in front of us doesn't mean we necessarily have to eat it. No, and that's something um, that I know some people struggle with is kind of like fear missing out by not enjoying the food or feeling bad for mm-hmm. somebody like if you don't eat the food they gave you. And the truth is like you don't have to eat something just because somebody gives it to you or because it's available. You just eat what you want to eat and if you don't want to eat it, then you shouldn't have to feel bad for it. So I know that's something that people definitely struggle with. Yeah, and then one one last thing, uh, just because I did add a few more uh, to the list, just for you know, very common diet mistakes. Um, there's there's two I guess I want to incorporate here, um, and that's a lot of people when they start uh, a diet, um, they only focus on the diet. They don't focus on actually you know weight training and doing cardio. So. They, they're only doing, you know, one out of the three things that we could potentially be doing in order to help us truly lose weight and, and to change our body, and they only rely on the diet. And we know, you know, from, from being experienced that those other two, the weightlifting and the cardio, can really change us a lot more along with, you know, just doing, just having our diet on point. Um, so I was saying and vice versa, you know, you have to have your weight training and your diet on point. You can't just have one or the other. Just because I see so many people busting their butt in the gym, and then once again, they don't see results because their diet's not on point. You know, and they're coming in, and they're doing the two-a-days, and they're doing a, an hour of cardio, and then they're scratching their head wondering why their weight's not going down. It's because their diet's not on point. So both of those, or all three of those, have to be hand, you know, hand in hand, the diet, the training, and the cardio, if you want to see true results. And then, the last one that I did want to talk about, um, and once again, because I just feel like it's, it's just very common, because what I think people really in the generalized community look to bodybuilders for advice as far as like how to structure their diet. One of the things that I did wrong, and one of the things I think a lot of people do wrong just in general, is they think that smaller meals like stoke their metabolism. Yes. So they eat these little like rabbit meals <laughs> you know, eight times a day. Um, you know, every hour and a half or two hours, and really, it's just not doing them any good. Uh, when in reality, they could easily just eat three or four or five, you know, a little bit larger meals, and it will probably do them a little bit better. It'll help them be satiated more, and it'll give them, you know, enough protein per meal to actually spike protein synthesis, and maybe help them, you know, at least sustain muscle or grow a little bit of muscle, depending on what their goals are. Yes, exactly. I think, sadly, some people still believe, you know, those tiny meals are better for the metabolism. They kick that metabolic rate high, and (laughs) then they're like, oh, I'm always hungry. This is so hard, but I'm doing it for my metabolism. But those, like, you really need those muscle protein synthesis spikes, especially for a competitor, dear Lord. But, yeah, those, those meals, you definitely don't need to spread out like that at all. And I feel like a lot of people just kind of catch themselves uh, in a rhythm where they're, they're actually looking at the clock, and the clock is dictating whether they're hungry or not. They don't even, like, check their internal, you know, internal clock, like, am I really hungry? Or just because it's 12 o'clock, am I, you know, I'm supposed to be hungry since it's lunchtime. So, like, for myself, um, although I, I do, like, space out the time of my pre-workout meal and my post-workout meal accordingly, Basically, any of the other times throughout the day, I just kind of let my internal clock tell me when I'm going to eat. And, you know, sure, I'm not going to eat if it's two hours later, but, you know, I don't necessarily have to eat every three hours. Sometimes I eat every fourth hour or sometimes every, you know, every five hours apart 
depending on how busy I am uh, during the course of the day. And I could honestly say that, you know, when I do wait five hours, I'm, I don't think I'm losing, you know, any muscle mass. I don't think I'm hurting my metabolism by, you know, not eating for a couple extra hours. I haven't seen any negative repercussions yet. I, I think for the most part, I've, I've been doing pretty well as far as gaining muscle in my career. Yeah, people think they don't realize that the human body is a lot smarter than just no food. It's going to go into depletion mode and directly tap into all your protein <laughs> stores. So, yeah, it would be really terrible if that happened, but thank God it doesn't. Um, yes. So to finish off this podcast, I just wanted to say a huge thank you again for taking your time to come on here and sharing your knowledge. And before we go, is there any last-minute words you have for my listeners or any way that they can reach out to you for coaching or um, check out your YouTube videos? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so kind of just a final words uh, for you know your the listeners here that I'm sure some of my clients will tune into. Uh, is, you know, if you are working with a coach and you trust them, you know, obviously just listen to them um, and always question them, you know, if you don't agree with something. I think when we talked about communication, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing as far as a coach-client relationship is, is key communication. So always just be open uh, with your coach, whether it's me, whether it's Lacey, whether it's anybody for that matter, because the more you communicate, the better results you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as, like, how to, to uh, look up my – my YouTube videos and everything. Uh, once again, it's it's just under the account name Brandon Wadis W A D A S. I'm on Instagram. I don't quite have the following that Lacey has, <laughs> but uh, you can find me on Instagram and of course on Facebook. Um, I do repost my Facebook lives on my YouTube channel, which I probably need to get to tonight uh, to put up my most recent one. Uh, but I'm fairly active on Facebook, trying to get up there on Instagram. Um, but I am playing this YouTube game. Uh, for my contest prep, and I'm very excited uh, to share it with everybody. Uh, so hopefully, some of, some of you will tune in, especially for the later stages of my prep, just to see how I do uh, here in 2018. So, Lacey, I do really appreciate you having me on, and for you taking you know an hour of your time uh, to have me. It means a lot, um, and I just want to say thank you once again. And this was a lot of fun. Oh yay! I'm glad you had fun. These the I love these podcasts, and they're just. It's amazing the like the feedback I get back from these. People love them. So I'm very excited. And thank you so much again. And good luck f- with your prep. I know you'll kill it.